outdrive you. That's right, Grandma could outdrive you. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Derek Pernasiglio Show. I'm Derek Pernasiglio, but who I am isn't important. It's the guest. And today's guest is two-time USAC midget champion Stevie Reeves, also uh, spotter to the stars, I guess we can call you too. <laughs> Uh, at times, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, if we're just going to sit down and uh, just have a, a, a chat, you know, just do some bench racing. But for you, uh, we were just talking, uh, you started off like a lot of kids racing. You started off in quarter midgets, right? Uh, yeah, I started at seven years old racing quarter midgets. Um, my dad drove stock cars when he was young. I, we lived right across the street from Indianapolis Raceway Park in a trailer. And I used to ride my bike down and watch all the go-karts running and everything and I mean, I was four years old and riding my bike down the street. Back then, you could do that stuff. Uh, we lived in that trailer for a while, and then uh, sold it to actually Dana Carter, uh, Poncho's brother. And I uh, ran quarter midgets, started when I was seven. Uh, my parents got divorced, and I moved in with my grandparents, who lived in turn three of the Annapolis Motor Speedway. And uh, my grandfather owned my race cars at that time. And now, we, we, let me interrupt you quick. You okay. were seven years old, and you got to decide where you wanted to live? Yeah. Was a little, yeah. They, <laughs> when they got divorced, they set me down and said, who do you want to live with? And I loved racing, and my grandparents owned the race car, and I was afraid I was not going to get to race. And so I said, my grandparents. <laughs> and I moved in with my grandparents, which, you know, my grandma was all for it. So uh, I moved in with my grandparents, and they owned my race cars, and uh my grandpa was a little bit too old to take care of the stuff, uh, you know, but uh, I had another guy that came and helped me, Gary Grun, and started racing then and raced quarter midgets up till I was 16. Uh, back then, you didn't have the micros and all the different things. You had to be 18 to race in USAC. Right. So it was a lot different time. So we raced quarter midgets till we were 16, and, you know, my local track was myself, Robbie Stanley, Eric Gordon, um, John Stanborough, oh uh, <laughs> in Kokomo, we raced against, uh, Dave Darlin, um, in quarter midgets, yeah, Lonnie Rush. Wow. Um, and then now all the quarter midget builders, uh, Tad Pfizer, I raced against him, um, Nervos, I raced against John right. and Robbie Nervo. Right. Uh, and of course Stanley's got Stanley, Stanley chassis. I to school with Robbie Stanley and when I won the USAC midget title, he won the sprint car title and, you know, we grew grew up walking to school together it's kind of a small world but uh lived when i was in brownsburg living there and then like i said i live with my grandparents and then when it got time to race sprint cars uh i was too old to race the quarter midgets and we you know didn't have the money to do it so they refinanced their house and bought me a sprint car for 10 grand and i had she went right from quarter, quarter midgets, midgets to sprint, sprint cars. cars what a yeah. huge jump and I mean. my first ever race was Perrigan Speedway an all-star sprint show you know just you know kid that was just too anxious and didn't want to wait for a weekly show and that was the first race and I went 72 cars showed up and uh 72 yeah there was for Kinzer a regular and show and everybody there a wing show right uh yeah it was a wing show okay and uh it was all-star sprints and ran that race and then the next race went to bloomington took the wing off uh won the fast heat and you know it was, it was a lot different back then but uh my crew i was 17 i was the only one old enough to drive the truck uh, i had a 15 year old that helped me uh named cuz and he ended up being a chief mechanic at the Indianapolis motor speedway one year and he still works for uh, i believe it's ray hall and then the 14 year old jeff Gron. Uh, he has been a crew chief for many people. He's won the Annapolis Motor Speedway as a crew chief for uh, Frank Heaty, won championships. Okay. Uh, he's worked for Andretti forever. Um, he's now with Ed Carpenter Racing, still the chief mechanic to this day. But so a bunch of kids just went racing, and we I was the only one old enough to drive the truck. The goal was, was Indy. It wasn't NASCAR for oh, if yeah. you lived in that area. I mean, yeah. because at the time, I mean, Indy was the top rung of motorsports i mean oh, yeah in that the 70s and and even into the 80s a little bit too yeah. until my, my grade school was directly between turns three and four and during the month of may i never made it to school very i was often. gonna say how do you I get anything right, done? i went to school if i turned left i went to indy and <laughs> i knew about every way to get into indy without paying and uh 
I used to actually sell golf balls. I'd go through the golf course and get golf balls out of the creek and sell them, and that's how I made money when I was young, was uh, selling golf balls at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. How old were you at the time? Oh, then I was, you know, 11, 12 years old. Wow. Yeah, I would, uh, that's how I made extra money. At the Indian, and did they know you were doing this, or? No, <laughs> later on when I was racing the bush cars with Clabber Girl Baking Powder was my sponsor. That's the Holman family. Right. And, uh, you know, I told Tony one day, I said, yeah, I used to sneak in here and sell golf balls, and he's like, is that you? <laughs> you know, like they knew, but it was, uh, yeah, that's, you know, just growing up around there, that's that's what we did, and everybody wanted to be at the Speedway, and that was my goal, and uh, I had two opportunities to go there and never got to race there, though, and there was just circumstances both times I didn't get to go do it. So you never never turned a lap there? Never did. I uh, The one year uh, I was in the garage when I was racing, and Jonathan Bird came by on the golf cart and said, meet me in the garage area, and I went to the garage area, and he said, that his driver wasn't up to speed, wanted to put me in the car. But at that time, you had to have your rookie test before the month of May. And I didn't have that at the Speedway, so I wasn't able to do it. So wow. that would have been an awesome opportunity. And then uh, I, right out of high school, I started working for Frank Wise, who I ran sprint cars with, uh, who drove Indy cars at one point. Um, he was a machinist, and he taught me how to machine and fabricate and everything. Uh, he ended up buying into a race team and they called me and wanted me to run Indy and I was running the Bush series at the time and the Bush series would not let me that was the only only year I was running a full season in Bush okay and they would not let me because I would have had to miss a couple races for qualifying and uh, the race at Charlotte was on Saturday and you couldn't race 24 hours before the 500 so they would not let me do it because I would have had to miss some races and so unfortunately I never got to do it I wish I'd have just quit the car at the time because I was a uh, you know, if I'd have known what I know now, I would have done it just because I wanted to run Indianapolis. That was my goal my whole life. Well, I was just going to ask you, going, coming from that area, was it, you know, Indy or NASCAR that you wanted to go to? Well, it was Indy. I mean, that was everything. Well, I, I wanted to run midgets and sprint cars. I mean, that's what I grew up uh, when I said Gary Gron helped me in quarter midgets. Um, he took me to a lot of those races, and I just, that's what I wanted to do. There was you know, no doubt that I was going to do that somehow. And then when I got to a certain point, I wanted to run Indy cars. That was where it was. And I didn't know much about stock cars. I watched the Daytona 500 and some different things, but then, uh, racing with Jeff Gordon and he started moving down, uh, got me more interested. I got to watching it and paying attention more because of him. And then I started, you know, going to some of the races and, uh, actually when, when they uh, came to the in it, to the brickyard for the test session for Goodyear, uh, the very first time I went uh, out there, Chris Paulson was my crew chief on the Silver Crown car, and he was building the radiators for the stock cars, the right, CNR, CNR radiator. radiators. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he had a big party every year when they'd come to Indy, but that was the first one. And I'm like, how can I introduce myself to these people? So I put my T-shirts on all the bartenders so – they would see my name, you know. <laughs> well, not knowing that Saturday Smart Night Thunder was as big as what it was. You know, we were racing it. We just thought it was racing. But come to find out, it was a lot bigger than we we realized at the time. We were just racing. And they were people were scheduling their flights and everything to get to the track so they could watch. The stock car guys could watch Saturday Night Thunder or Thursday Night Thunder. They were flying out early so they could go watch them. And so – at the party, I met Chocolate Myers and some of Earnhardt's guys, and they're like, man, you need to come to the track tomorrow. We'll introduce you to Dale and Richard. I'm like, well, I've met Richard, but I'd like to meet Dale. It's like, okay, come on over. So <laughs> I go there, and not knowing, I mean, they call him the intimidator, right? I just thought it was because he intimidated people on the track. I didn't know how he was. So Chocolate says, here, come on, I'll introduce you. So we walk over, and he's sitting there reading the newspaper in the corner, and chocolate's like hey i got somebody i want you to meet he said this is stevie reeves and he like shakes his head and folds his paper down he's like yeah i've seen you on tv before i said really i've seen you on tv before too <laughs> and he just started laughing you know and before i left that day he's like what, do, what are you doing out here and i said well you know i kind of get an interest in stock cars and i wanted to meet some people and see what it's all about he's like what do you know about it i said nothing not a thing 
I said, but I want to do it. And they called him to go back out. He goes, hang around here. He goes, I'm going to talk to you before you leave. So he went out and ran again, and Chocolate's like, he don't do that. That's not him. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, ah, he's cool. You know, I, I didn't know any different how he was. He come back in, and he lifts the hood up, and he's like, this is a front steer car. This is a rear steer car. This is how this works and everything. He's like, you got any sponsors? I said, I got a couple. He goes, you got any motor deals? I said, well, working at the machine shop, I build all the Buick motor stuff that goes on the V6 Indy cars. I said, I might be able to get something through there. He goes, you got any tire deals? I said, yeah, I work with Hoosier and Goodyear, you know, depending on what series it is. And right. he's like, all right, I got a car I'm trying to sell, a bush car. I'm going to run you at Hickory. I was like, wow. wow. You know, it's <laughs> like, cool. You know, so leaving that day, I was going to race for Dale Earnhardt and you know Chuck Lamar's like you owe me you owe me you know? <laughs> like ah oh, he's cool you know but uh I call him I get a free motor I get a tires everything I have it done all I had to do is mention Dale Earnhardt's name and it was done and bef- the next week Hank Parker bought the car and I didn't get to do it. Well, their but, families have been friends for yeah, years, right, too. Exactly. Uh. So I didn't get to do it. But I went to Bristol the next week because I'm like, well, I'm on their mind. I Maybe if he hears something, he'll put my name in. So I go there, and he was like, well, I walk up in the truck, and he's watching Mr. Bean. <laughs> you know, but. Uh, <laughs> the British yeah, comedy. I know. Right. So uh, he, he says, uh, too bad you got to go home. I'm testing Monday at Martinsville. I'm like. I ain't got to go anywhere. And he tells my wife, he's like, what about you? She goes, well, I have to work. But he's like, this is a family sport. Either everybody does it or we don't do it. I'm like, She's like, okay. And he's like, all right, well, where's your car parked? And we're like, we don't have a car. What do you mean you don't have a car? I was like, we rode here with John and Carol Bigford, which is Jeff Gordon's stepdad. I said, we drove a T-shirt trailer truck down for him, and we were going to ride home with them because I raced Bloomington last night. He's like, oh, well, then just be here after the race. You'll fly home with us. And so we flew home with him, and Teresa said he'd never brought anybody home from a race before. And wow. So we went to their house, and he was telling us, like, we had a day in between. It was a Saturday night race, and we were testing Monday. So on Sunday, he's like, yeah, this is where my cup shop's going to be, and that's where it's at right now. And uh, he said, you, you know, you want to ride the horses? We're like, yeah. Well, I grew up in the city. I'm not a horse guy, you know. So he gets on this horse and he rides it around. He gets off and he gives it to my wife and he gets on this other one and he starts riding around and the thing starts bucking and kicking and throws him off and lands on him. Like Whoa. literally lands on his leg, falls over on him. No kidding. And he gets up just to smile and brush himself off and he walks over and he says, here, you ride this one. <laughs> I was like, screw <laughs> yeah, that. No. I'm not doing it. He no. just thought that was funny. But uh, Kelly was dating a rodeo champion at the time and that guy ended up riding it. And, uh, so we spent the whole day with him, just the coolest guy ever. And I went the next day, and he, you know, borrowed a car for me to do it and said, do not crash this car. I don't care how fast you go. Just This is just to see if you even like it. That's where, all it's for. Where was it? It was at Martinsville. It was at Martinsville. Whose car yeah. we, did you borrow? Um, Honestly, I don't even remember. And that's before cell phones and everything, so we don't even have pictures of it. Really? But, uh, okay. Um, So the Yuris and everybody, they, they were all out there. And uh, so we went and ran that day and Richard Childress took my wife and I back to the airport in his Corvette so I uh, flew home and, <laughs> three of you in a but, Corvette yeah, but Dale said <laughs> don't tell anybody about this because everybody's going to want to do this and I don't you know just keep it quiet I'm like no problem well I'm running the beast car at the time a few months later I walk into the speed shop and Janice he says so you tested for Earnhardt huh I'm like no and she's like yeah you did I'm like don't you think if I tested for Earnhardt, I'd want people to know that? She's like, well, it's right here in this magazine. There was a guy writing a story for on him that day and put it all in there. Oh, no. So, Did he yeah. tell him? Uh, no, well, no, he just knew that I was there with him and, and oh, uh, put wow. it in there. And, uh, so Did you they, call they him and be out. like this? I, was, I said, I didn't tell him. He's like, it's all good. But Okay. No. But, uh, you know, later on, um, I started running the Bush Series the first year, and low buck team didn't have much money he came over at charlotte and was like how you run and i'm like well we're middle of the pack not not great he's like how are you on stickers i said well we don't have any stickers we're just getting used to the racetrack he goes you can't run without stickers 10 minutes later here comes a set of stickers rolling over from his guys and 
I said, Dale, we can't buy those. He goes, I didn't ask you for anything. You know where I live? We'll be at the Deerhead shop tonight drinking. Just bring the wheels back. Wow, so, that's cool. I mean, he that's how he was. He didn't want no – I mean, Tony Stewart's the same way. He does, They did things for people and didn't want people to know about it. Right. I had heard all about yeah, that, like but, a lot of different things. But let's go back before the NASCAR stuff. Let's talk okay. sprint cars and midgets and all of that because – my first memory of you was Thursday Night Thunder. I mean, and, and and we just brushed over that quick. I mean, look at what that show did yeah. for all of you guys. I mean, you, Tony, Kenny Irwin Jr., Mike Bliss, Carl Edwards, Ryan Newman, uh, 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 <laughs> who else? Uh, Leffler. Yeah. I mean, so many guys. When you were racing the midgets and sprint cars and saw Jeff Gordon kind of venture that way, did you kind of see that as this is the vessel that I need to get me there? Yeah. Um, again, like I said, we didn't really realize how big Thunder was at the time, and it's a shame that we don't have that anymore. I know. Uh, because, you know, you had the fans that would watch us there and, and watch us grow up and then follow us to NASCAR. So then NASCAR got bigger and you don't have that feeding step anymore that, you know, now you have a lot of people that young kids will run one series for six, six races or, you know, three months and then move up to the next one, then the next one. And nobody gets to know the drivers like they did back then. Um, Thunder did a great job. They actually took us and filmed, filmed us doing different things. They, they put me through Skip Barber driving school and filmed it just because they needed content if it rained uh they took us to do a lot of things we got to do a lot of really cool stuff right um, i remember they would come yeah. into your shops and sit down and do interviews yeah. with yeah i do remember the skip barber stuff yeah, I, I did I, the I, skip barber and i also got to do a. we did the same me and eric gordon did a the same stuff that the formula one drivers did to see our reaction times i remember and, that and feature too we actually both of us did really high uh scored really high on those and you know, that was stuff that we wouldn't have got to do if it wasn't for that. But, again, we didn't realize how many people watched this. Like I said, people were scheduling their airplane flights to get to the track. Dale Earnhardt did to watch our races. And uh, Did you get, like, NASCAR guys coming in your shop when you were living in Indiana, like, working I mean, on a like, yeah, Really? They, they, they Who came by your place? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, when I was trying to break in, like I said, I would come down with Chris Paulson. Mm-hmm to try and meet stock car guys and i'd be walking through the pits and everybody's like hey stevie that was a good job the other night and, it, and i'm thinking how how do you know who how do you know that you know power but television not even thinking you know it was just it, it it was a bigger tool than what we realized and um running the thunder stuff it was all different kinds of racetracks we ran winchester we ran all that but then they also like uh copper world was on American Sports Cavalcade, if you remember back when they was I loved so, the Copper World Classic, yeah, man. So. Super modifieds on the mile, yep. midgets on the mile, which I think the fastest I've ever been on was a five-eighths of a mile track at Oswego and Thompson yep. and Flemington. I ran Flemington before they closed it down. And those three places were just lightning fast, hold yeah. your breath for 25 laps. I can't imagine what midgets on the mile has got to be like. I won the first time I went to Copper World with Wilkie's car. Uh, qualified fourth at 128 mile an hour, mile an hour average, and won the race. It went green to checkered and averaged 125 because you drafted, and it was unbelievable. And then, you know, back then it was a lot more dangerous than it is now. Uh, in the then I ran the Silver Crown car later that day, and uh, Danny Milburn was killed down in turn one. And you know, unfortunately, back then there was a lot of times where we had people killed in racing and during the races and you knew that they were killed and we would keep going go back and finish the race you know now they don't do that anymore because it's so far and few in between that they stop the races usually but back <laughs> then it was like you know i have so many people like racing quarter midgets growing up there's probably four or five guys that i raced with that were killed racing right and robbie was one of robbie, them kenny irwin kenny irwin uh, guy named johnny cook were you a, at the track the night rich vogler died i was not um that was one of the few nights that i took off the car that i was running uh they were getting a motor redone and i did not go that night but when rich was killed um was right around the time where i was at a crossroads with myself i was running ralph potter's midget mm. and ralph potter 
I mean, everybody knows Ralph Potter is unbelievable smart. Right. Uh, the V6 he, motor yeah. that he developed. I, I mean, how smart he is when he was, I think he was 14 years old, somebody took him to Bonneville with him to help, and he had a motor he wanted somebody to run, and he built himself, and nobody would run it, and they said Mickey Thompson blew a motor before Mickey Thompson was really Mickey Thompson. Right. And, uh, Ralph said, hey, put this in, and they broke a record, and he was like 14 years old when he built this motor. Wow. And uh, so Ralph built my quarter midget motors at, when I was younger, and I was driving for him, and he was developing the Potter V6, but it was all stock parts, and we didn't finish that many, many races, but we were at Belleville for the Midget Nationals, and they had a race that if you didn't have a Gertie motor or a Pontiac or a Cosworth, they had a special race that you could run, and it paid 1000 to win. Well, here I am, you know, I can make 50% if I win the race. That's 500 bucks for me. That was a lot of money, and okay. that, that was going to pay for my trip because we ran a couple races on the way out there, and I was married, at, you know. Uh, and that was the deal, 50%? I got 50% if I won. And Not bad for yeah, the time, right? Yeah, and so I was going to win that race, and we draw, and I drove terrible. I was towards the back, and the barrel valve was messed up, and if I got out of the gas, it would stumble. So I ran the whole race wide open. With <laughs> It didn't matter if somebody was in front of me or not, and I'm banging off the walls. I literally had the right front on top of the wall twice hitting the posts, and I came in after the race. I ran second and just was so pissed off because <laughs> I didn't make my money, you know. And I mean, that was all what it was about. You didn't care, you know. My biggest fear in racing was failing, not getting hurt. It was failing. Right. And because I grew up racing quarter midgets and everything and won and everything I'd done. And I was really frustrated. We kept blowing motors that year just because he was developing the motor. I come in, and I ran second, and there was a ton of people around the car. And I thought there was a fight or something around us that I didn't realize. And, you know, Wilkie's come over. Wilkie's had knew uh, Gary Gron, the guy that worked on my quarter midgets from paper company that he worked with. And they were like, man, that was that was nuts you know and john bigford said dude you scare me don't do that you know I, I, <laughs> and but you know you don't want to fail in racing and so i go home and rich vogler was killed and potters called me and said that they weren't going to run no more because they were going to figure their motor deal out so i don't have a ride at this point <clears throat> excuse me and I literally was laying in bed, told my wife, if something doesn't change by the end of the year, I'm done. I've I've tried so hard, and it's just not working. We're, what were you going to do? I I mean, I was working as a machinist, but I just wasn't going to race no more. I was tired, you know. Of, How old were you at the time? Hmm, 20, 22 or 23. Oh, wow. But, this is really early. This yeah. is early. But, I mean, I, I just I had nothing left, right? I mean, I didn't know where my next ride was coming from. I didn't have money like i said i my grandparents took care of my stuff and we just didn't have the money we, they refinanced their house and bought me a sprint car and i ran for two years off of what i made racing sprint cars okay and uh then i was just driving for people and we got to the point i got to the point where i just had enough i was like i just was tired of trying so hard and so i called john black and i said hey can i run your car at springfield on the mile He's like, well, Kevin Olson's supposed to run it, but he's talking to Wilkies, and he might run their car, so I'll let you know. It's like, okay. Never heard nothing back. So I call him on Wednesday. Hey, have you ever heard from Kevin? No, I haven't, but I'll tell you what. If you got something that you can haul the car there with, pull the trailer with the truck, I, you can drive it. For Black's car? For Black's car. Okay. So I borrowed a truck from my uncle and went over and worked on the car and went to springfield on the mile and was signing in and mark wilkie come up and said hey we almost called you to run our dirt car and i thought he was just kidding i'm like yeah whatever you know okay so i go walking down pit lane i see greg wilkie hey we almost called you to run our dirt car and they're not together and i'm like maybe they did you know and that's the wilkie midget was like top of the line oh, the wilkie did. family yeah. I, mean, I mean the for whole years. yeah they're the oldest indy car team in existence they still own the indy cars at the time and yeah. they're you know miller general draft silver crown car and i was like wow that's pretty cool so i drive john black's car and he's got a, a uh 
So wait, this was the sil- this was the silver crown. This was a midget. This race, was the midget. But there was silver crown was racing that day also. Now is this at the time when the Wilkies had the the Paps Blue Ribbon Challenger right. cars? Uh, it was a Challenger, but it was right after Paps Blue Ribbon. Okay. So, I was running this car, and it was a Cosworth, which was outdated at the time. And I went out, broke the track record, and ran second to Stan Fox in the feature. So I go home. I just got married and was still living with my grandparents. We hadn't got a house yet, and uh, I, or actually, we just got a house and we moved out. And I kept, was at my grandparents to eat dinner, and we were leaving to go home and to go call Wilkie's. And my grandma come out. We were backing out of the driveway, and she says, "Somebody's on the phone for you." And I went in, and it was Greg Wilkie, or it was Mark Wilkie, and. I was, like, I was like, hello? He goes, hey, this is Mark Wilkie. I was like, hey. He goes, what are you doing? I said, literally, I was getting ready to go to my house to call you. He's like, this ain't your house? I said, no, this is my grandparents. I, I just moved out. He goes, oh, this is what you said. Gave us your number. <laughs> and he's like, what do you want? I said, I was going to see if I could drive your car. And he's like, hold on. Hey, Greg, do you, he wants to know if he can drive our car. So they start screwing with me. Well, ended up, <laughs> I got the uh, ride in their car and... uh running the midget and sprint car and the midget was what uh rich vogler was driving okay so after he was killed then i was able to get in that uh johnny parsons drove both of them for a little while okay. uh, but then i got in and then things turned around that's when the next next year we won like 12 races and you know one silver crown race and the midget races and we won you know you won a championship with world. them right no i didn't I uh I thought you won I thought you won one with Wilkie's and one with no, Steve I won Lewis. Both of them with Steve Lewis. Oh, okay. So Wilkie's I lost the championship by seventeen points. So they didn't run all to the who? races to Mike Stryker. Okay. Uh that was when he had first started developing the Hawk chassis, right? Yeah, he'd been doing it. Uh but I I ran a few races for Wilkie's, some for John Black, and I ran a couple for uh I, it was like four different cars I ran that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eddie Griffith, I ran for him a couple races. Well, then it was time to go out west, and Wilkie's couldn't win the championship, and they were busy at home, and they weren't going out. So I just took my helmet bag and went out, and I drove for uh, Zeronians. Okay, yeah, And yeah. I drove for... Who Sleepy drove for? Did he help yeah. you get the ride? Yeah. No, actually, they called yeah. me when I won Copper World... And I'd been calling all these people and kept getting turned down. And then I go out and win Copper World. My phone rang off the hook. People want me to drive for them. It was great because I got to tell them no because I had a ride. Right. You that's, know, that's it was like revenge, you know. Turning so, down offers. Uh, well, they called me and I, I ran uh, the next year. I ran for them at uh, the Thunder Races out there. Right. But I went out and ran some of the races for them. And then I ran Turkey Night at Saugus for Steve Lewis for the first time. Okay. And we were really fast, and I broke a track bar and dropped out. So the last night was going to El Centro. There was a dust storm. They were going to call it. I was leading by two points or something, and they ended up staying real late, and we ran. Well, we go out in hot laps, and um, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, anyway, he bounced off the wall and crashed in front of me and i went low and he came down and got me and bent the frame i was like okay well it was it was a good run you know i wasn't expecting to win a championship or nothing because i didn't even go it was like six races or something i didn't even go to that was the it was the usac western states stuff what, no this was it? the national championship because oh, like when was. i won copper world okay that was western states at the time so i didn't get okay. points for that when i won the pepsi nationals that was only uh for the Badger series. I didn't get points for that. Okay. There was, you know, a lot of big races we won. I didn't get points for. Uh, oh, all right. But now, that, you know, then they ended up changing them to that. But, uh, cause I remember, you know, in the beginning of the year, Thunder, you used to go out west. Yeah. You'd start off. That was s- Western States. Right. Races. You'd start off at like yep. Ventura or a- even in the 80s, Ascot. Yeah. Yep. You know, they went to right. Ascot first, which I thought was really cool. And then Ventura and then came started to come back out east yeah you, you know yeah uh so i didn't know if that was part of like the western states yeah they combined them later but okay. it was at that time it was just western states when i ran copper world but so i went out there and i couldn't fix the car so uh randy roberts comes over and says hey just get in my car and run it 
So I get in it, go out, qualify, come in, change the car a little bit, go out for the heat race, motor blows up. I mean, like, fire blows up. And back then you had the pit pin and it melted on on the pin. I couldn't get the wheel off, car right. was on fire. That's like, what it was big. Wolfgang, right. right? Yeah. Okay. So it was like big fire. So I was like, well, okay. Well, it was worth, you know, we tried. Jimmy Sills comes over. Hey, just my car's in the feature, start last, run it, run a Colder Woods car. I'm like, all right. The four, right? The, yeah. The four car. So okay. I get in the car. Why didn't Jimmy run it? Well, because I'm running for a championship. So he got oh, out. okay. Like, you know, deal was I he made the money. I just drove it. Oh, okay. So uh like, okay. So I start last in the feature. Um, Stryker started sixth. And right before we push off, he said, hey, throttle's been sticking, but I think we got it fixed. Okay. Again, you, d- you didn't care about that stuff back then. You just raced. Right. And we pushed off, and they dropped the green, and this thing was so hooked up on the cushion. And we were probably about four cars behind him and, like, right off the bat. I mean, this thing was hooked. No problem. We're going to do it. And I go into turn one, and the right rear wheel broke, and I turned over. And the whole time I raced midgets, I only got upside down twice. Once was on TV at Winchester with an in-car camera because it started raining and that night. And I lost by 17 points. And, again, I didn't even go to, like, six or seven races. If I would have just went to one, I would have won the championship. Well, I was driving for uh, three different car owners that night. <laughs> so that w- so that was yeah. three different car owners to try to get you the championship. Yeah. And missed it and then come back and won back-to-back. Yeah, I I switched to driving for Steve Lewis the next two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stan Fox was driving for him. He wanted to run for championships. Stan didn't want to run full time. He only ran the big races. So uh, I drove for Steve. And when Stan would run, he would be the nine, and I would be the nine L. And when he didn't, I would be the nine. So ironically, Ralph Potter won the championship and the car owners that year because they were consistent and. I had more points, but I ran two different numbers. So Steve finished second to Ralph Potter in the championship. I won the championship as the drivers. And then the following season, Steve got his first championship. We both won, and then I left to go NASCAR racing after wow. that. Now, at the time you were racing on dirt, did you have your, your kids at the time? Were, were um, they, were I they had with you? my daughter was born at that time. Because right. uh, your son is also running micros or he was running yes. micros, right? He he ran sprint cars and micros. Um I have three kids now. Uh my son wasn't born till my second year of NASCAR. Um moved down here and saying I grew up with Robbie Stanley, they got back into the quarter midgets. I bought the first one that they got back into building and they were able to take my son all over uh racing quarter midgets when, when he was five. Oh, and that's cool. he learned that and then so you were still running the bush car at the time uh i just stopped racing uh so he didn't even know that i ran midgets or sprint cars he was you know not around at that time but right. uh he saw a sprint car on tv one day and just fell in love with it and when he was running quarter midgets and that's all he talked about was sprint cars and uh when he was 10 years old took him out to the charlotte world of outlaw race and Casey Kane let him scrape mud and both cars got upside down that night and so he started grabbing wrenches and helping and they said hey he knows what he's doing and because I made him work on his own cars and uh they asked if I wanted to bring him over and let him work in the shop after school so he did that from the time he was 10 till he was 15 and uh then they asked if he could go on the road with the world of outlaws for that summer with uh at Joey Saldana at 15. Wow and of course me knowing what he would learn doing that i was all for it but his mother knowing what he would learn doing that <laughs> was not so excited about it but uh all right there's gotta she be did some agree st- to there's it. gotta be some stories from the road come yeah. on so uh, you gotta share one so she she let him do it but uh she he ended up when he got to go to eldora for the first time during that run uh met leah blaney which is dale blaney's daughter mm-hmm. and they stayed in touch, and now she is my daughter-in-law, and <laughs> I have a grandson by Isn't him. Isn't it amazing and how all yeah, of that I have, works out? Yeah, my son-in-law is uh, Mark Green, who I race bush cars with, uh, is his son. Right. And my youngest daughter just got engaged a couple but weeks Mark ago. Mark Green or Tyler? T- 
Tyler is my son-in-law, Tyler's Mark's son-in-law. son. Right, I, Mark, yeah. okay. So yeah. then my daughter just got engaged to a guy that races RC cars for a living, and, you know, so our family is racing. That's what we do. That's so funny. What was the story you were telling me about uh, you had to break the tires in one night because yeah. <laughs> uh, your kid had to leave? What, yeah, what well, we bought a micro for him to race, and uh, he ran sprint cars when he was didn't even have his driver's license yet, and he ran pavement sprinters up in Michigan, and then uh, he didn't race for a long time. Well, they started running micros at Millbridge, so I bought a micro, and we were going to have fun as a family doing that. Had he ever been on dirt before that? Never. He'd run pavement his whole life, so that's what was so okay. different. And uh, him and Christopher Bell are really good friends, so Christopher was helping him with the setups. Well, my son was trying to drive it like pavement, and you know, not being in the car, feeling it myself, I just was going with what he's telling me. Well, we're out there one night. I walk into the track for a practice night before a big race. It was a night for a thousand to win race, and I see Kyle Bush's dad, and he's like, "What are you doing out here?" And I was like, "Well, my son's got a car," and he's like, "Oh, okay." So Hayden goes out and practices the car, and then comes back in, and he gets a phone call that his little boy's sick. Uh-huh. and they're going to take him to urgent care. And I'm like, well, just leave. This isn't important. He goes, well, they're going to call and tell me what we're doing. I'll, I'll run one more. So he goes out and runs another session, comes back in, gets another call and said, this fever's too high. They want to take him to ER. I'm like, well, go. This will load up. He goes, well, we have to break in the tires. I'm like, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. He's like, you're going to have to drive the car. I said, I am not driving this car. <laughs> And he's like, you got to. Could you fit in the seat? Yeah, we're just the same size. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's 26, 27 years old now. So, oh, this uh, might make you feel good, though, that yeah. you can still fit in the seat. Though. Yeah, well, <laughs> that or makes him feel bad because I, I can fit in the seat. Uh, so he uh, he had to leave, and I'm like, I don't even know what the gears are. And he's like, all the way back's first, forward, one, second, run second gear. Okay. So I put his suit on, his helmet. I get in the car, got my Vans on. I'm not even wearing... <laughs> racing shoes or nothing and <laughs> i come down and don't have on his hans or anything you know i mean i i'm old school right and yeah, yeah so i go get in line and have no idea what i'm doing here so here comes I mean, you have a little bit of an idea yeah, after all your well, years of here comes be- racing kyle's dad he walks over and he sits down on the nerf bar and he's like you probably get this a lot but you just listen to your father and he'll get you figured out in this stuff he knows what he's doing on this dirt stuff <laughs> and I'm like, hey, Tom, it's me. He's like, what? I go, my son had to leave. It's it's me. He's like, what are you doing? I said, I have no idea. I, I didn't quite say it like that, but he got the message that I didn't have a clue what I was doing. That's great. So we roll off, and they give you the whole half a straightaway before they throw the green, and I'm wide open in turn one when we roll off, and you run four laps. I come in, and this thing will not turn at all. It's terrible. So... We go in. I change the stagger. You knew you were feeling right away, oh, though, right? For me, you right. know, but I change the car all around. I go back out, and I'm in line. Well, here comes Brad Knopfsinger walking across. Well, I raced with Brad growing up, and he's great. He, he was my team manager on my Bush team, right? So he comes by, and he waves at Hayden. <laughs> and, you know, of course, Hayden gives him the finger, and he, like, looks like, what's, what's that all about? And he walks over and jumps up on the Nerf bar, and he's like, you want me to ride here, kid? I said, you can if you want to be like old times. And he stops, and he looks down, and he's like, holy shit. He goes, I was going to the trailer, but I'm watching this. So I roll back out. It's I great. run again and come back in, and that's all I ran was, like, you know, eight laps. But, uh, you know, I was – I think Hayden ran a 62, and I ran a 68, so – he, he ran faster than me, but I was still too tight. But it actually helped him from then on because he ended up running a lot more stagger than he ever had. And just the car, he was just trying to drive it like pavement. So it did help him just those eight laps that I ran. So That's I'm on so my funny. way home that night. Brad Knopfsinger calls me. He says, we're all in the truck trying to figure out when the last time you ran dirt was. He said, we all have a bet. I was like, well, what's your guesses? And they all tell me, and I'm like, none of you are close. I said, the last time I raced anything was 2005, was pavement. The last time I ran dirt was when I ran second at the Chili Bowl in 94. (laughs) So it had been 27 years, and he was like, holy shit. He goes, that was impressive then. Big time. It's it's like riding a bike, though. Well, we, we sold the car, and 
I, I really wanted to go out and test and run it with the stagger and everything like I would have liked it one time, mm-hmm. just just because. But you know, it is what it is. You I, and I, it's probably better that I didn't because. You Did know. you and Nofsinger feel like kids again? You know, screwing around at the oh, track. Yeah, just, and, yeah, we do that. But it, but when I come in, Christopher Bell was like, "That's awesome, man! You need to race one night." And I was like, "No." I said, "Brent Cruz, who wins out there." Oh, I know. Every I've, week, I've raced right? with him before. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm like, he's he good. put a straightaway he's on me. He's good. like, well, he puts a straightaway on everybody. I said, I don't care. You know, I mean, that's that's not I'm, my competitiveness came out like and that. they got no fear either yeah they that's have no fear yeah. I, I know I, I tell people all the time like you know how frustrating it is rolling into the track knowing your biggest competition is 11 yeah like, oh i know <laughs> right but now i mean you you go look at the lineup out there it's all and kids it's bell and suarez and you know all, against it's kids the whole you know half the nascar field and they're trying to get ready for their dirt but they're getting these 12 13 year old kids handing their ass to them you I know, know. and I, it's it's impressive i mean that's bochelle uh, they're all 13 a, years old and they're just unbelievable how good they are i know it's and you know you're looking at the future oh yeah you, you know you know you're going to see the future but that night that you hopped in the car didn't you get like some kind of fire back like you know i'd i'd, I'd want to do this again you know it was like every emotion that you could go through it's one was okay good nobody knows it's me until afterwards then it went through the pits like wildfire (laughs) and because it's like again your biggest fear is failure and i didn't want to look bad that's why i didn't want to do it uh then i come in and was like okay i know what to do but that kid put a straightaway on me so i'm mad yeah you know so all those things come back i mean you're competitive it don't matter what it is i mean let's one of the worst stories of my life is playing Candyland with my daughter when she was young, and I caught her cheating, and I flipped the board. <laughs> it's it's like the worst story a father could ever tell, you know. Really, but it's just wait, being competitive. Wait a, wait a set an example. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean it. Unfortunately, it really happened. You know, <laughs> is she competitive? So, oh yeah, my whole family is. Yeah, they're. You were yeah. telling me what was it? Um, was was it she the one that was running the 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 RC car? For that the first that was time? my youngest daughter. She ran the RC car for the first time. She's engaged to a guy that's won the RC Chili Bowl nine times. He races RC cars for a living, and he is unbelievable. And so she decided, or we talked her into racing the other night for the first time. And she didn't want to do it because she was afraid she was going to be in the way. She wanted to practice more. And we were like, it's a beginner class. You can crash every lap. It doesn't matter. So she runs her first heat race and goes okay. Second race, she does better. And then the feature, she gets crashed on the first lap, gets stuck. And when she comes back, they turn around. She gets coming back. Somebody else hits her, goes under the line. So she's three laps down before this race even gets going. Oh, God. And she runs really good, gets back up to – she was up to fourth but ended up like sixth or seventh in the the race. But, you know, from three laps down – and comes back to the trailer and is as pissed off as you can be and you know her her mother's temper really came out in her and it was embarrassing to show how her mom was but <laughs> now that's, that's you know everybody well, knows my temper right my temper is horrible so I, yeah her temper came out but she was very competitive and it was her first race and she went from not even wanting to do it to ready to whip some ass <laughs> did did it make you proud though a little bit yeah. a little bit yeah <laughs> that's I mean, great if if you don't care about it, you shouldn't do it. And, right. Yeah, you know, I understand. You got to have that. that fire in you. If without the fire, do something else. Yeah, we're we're jumping around a little bit, so let's uh, kind of jump. Uh, how let's jump back a little bit to how the NASCAR career started. Um, obviously, you're running Thursday Night Thunder, doing great with the Wilkies. Ended up driving for Steve Lewis. I mean, and at the time. Lewis, Steve Lewis's car was, you know, the team to drive for. I mean, yeah. that was the super team. So, how was it? How did the transition happen to a Bush car <laughs> or Xfinity very, cars? Well, they like the today. rest of my life, very unconventional way. Uh, I put a deal together to run a race the end oh, of. <coughs> sorry, I had to cough. I put a race uh, sponsors together to run a race the end of. 93 at Rockingham uh, with Aiken Sutton Motorsports. About a week before the race, one of the sponsors backed out. 
like I said, I grew up with no money. <laughs> I had no idea how I was going to pay for this. I was committed to this, and I was panicked. I worked, again, for Frank Weiss on Gasoline Alley machining, and I'm at the machine shop, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm, I'm like in panic mode, and I'm like the only people that I know could help me right now is the Holman family. Mm-hmm. I walked over, picked up the phone, and I called Tony George's office and asked for Tony, and they said he was in a meeting, and I said, well, this is Stevie Reeves. Could you have him call me back, please? He did later that day, and I told him what happened and said, I really need some help and wondering if you guys would be interested in sponsoring me. He said, well, let me call you back. So he calls me back, and he says, well, we looked at it, and it's just not something we're able to do right now. He says, what what company did you think I would sponsor you with? I said, well, Clabber Girl Baking Powder. He's like, why Clabber Girl? I wasn't ready for that question. I said, Wasn't that their only business? Well, that was the first business the Holman's owned. That's what they owned when they got the money to buy the Speedway. Right. They he said, why Clabber Girl? Well, I, I wasn't ready for that question. But so my, you know, BS kicked in. And I said, well, I know the South is your weakest market. And I thought it would help you and myself at the same time. Smart. He's like, hmm, well, what color is the car going to be? I said, whatever color you want. He's like, what number is it? I said, 38, number's issued, I have to run that. I said, if we don't make the race, you don't pay a dime. Let me call you back. He called me back. We're going to do it. Awesome. That's great. So they were on the car. How did you know that that was their worst selling market, though? I didn't. Oh, really? No, that's where the BS kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I mean, that's, it that's, was on the fly. That's brilliant. It just, I, I, you know. That's freaking brilliant. You know, as a racer, you got to go through life taking care of yourself, and mm-hmm. that's what I did right there in that moment. And I uh, went to Rockingham, and we ended up hurting a motor and did not make the race. We heard it qualifying. We were fat, plenty fast enough. Okay. So I got a picture of the car. Around Thanksgiving time, I went to the Speedway, took it there, signed it. I said, thank you so much. You don't, do not know how much you saved me doing this. He said, well, what do you got going on? I said, well, John Bigford introduced me to a guy that's putting a Bush team together, and he's trying to find something, and if he gets something, he wants me to drive it. He said, tell him to send me a proposal. About a month later, I get a phone call from that car owner and says, hey, they're sponsoring us. <laughs> Which and, car owner was this? Uh, Mark Thomas out of Bedford, Pennsylvania. Okay. And uh, so that's how we went stock car racing. And it was because I picked up the phone and called Tony George out of the clear blue because I needed help. Wow. And, you know, but from then on, you know, it was a low-funded team. Like, our budget was what people were spending on motors. You know, it was really low budget. Wow. And uh, they everybody thought that I was related to the Holman family and thought we had a lot of money behind us. So it was probably one of the worst things that ever happened to me, um, having them as part of it. It, right. it. it was a blessing that I got to go do it. Right, but and the presentation. what we did. But everybody thinks still to this day. I mean, when Mary Holman died a couple of years ago, I had people coming up saying, sorry to hear about that. And I mean, they still to this day, people think that I'm related to them. And I tried so hard to get them to adopt me and it just never <laughs> happened. I guess now, I couldn't come up with the right story. Then. Right. Now, aren't you glad though, that all of that didn't happen in the social media age, because then you'd be getting all the hate tweets of, Oh, he's oh, only yeah. getting it because he's hooked up with the yeah. home. I mean, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I still get, I get it on there anyway, but you're I, you're not I'm on not any on social, social media. media. Right? No. Yeah. I, I mean, I've raised smart. You know, I ran quarter midget sprint cars, midget silver crown, you know, indie cars, bush cars, a little bit of everything. I've been around a lot, and I've met a lot of people in my life, and I get so many people that my wife says, hey, you remember this person? They contacted me and said, tell you hi. You know, she's like, why don't you get on there? Because that's why I would never get off the phone. I get a lot of text messages, and I, I just, I would like to meet up with people that i've seen in the past but it just to me it's not worth all the extra Uh, i i know if if the one thing that social media can is definitely good at it's it's wasting time yeah you can waste my temper would not go well on there i would say things that i shouldn't say 
Yeah, so. I, I'm a victim of it too. There's yeah. a lot of times that I say things that I regret, and I've hit the delete button a few times. But yeah, yeah but you know what? As much as I see, so it's like a it, social media is like a knife. You can use it as a tool or a weapon. Yeah, and there's a lot of times I see people using it as a weapon, and it's. I hate it, but it's a necessary evil for our part of the business, being a broadcaster. But uh, well, people always tell me, uh, they ask me if I'm ever serious, so I joke all the time. Right. right. So I really believe that off. most of the people that I would <laughs> that would read my stuff and not know me would think what an asshole I am, and <laughs> you know, would take it the wrong way, and I would be like blasted oh, yeah. for stuff that you know uh. I would totally be taken out of context because. I say inappropriate culture. things a lot, <laughs> but not because, you know, I'm trying to be mean. It's because that's me. Yeah. I, I'm just. You, got, you I, should meet my dad sometimes. I enjoy myself. <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 I make myself have a good time. If, if I'm not having a good time, I'll make myself have a good time. So what happens? That's cool. So <laughs> well, you're running the bush car. Was the shop located here in Charlotte or was it in Pennsylvania? Uh, it started what? off in Pennsylvania okay. and then moved down here at the end of the year. Um, again totally different i would leave the track hour down the road i would get sick throw up i thought it was my blood sugar i thought it was all kinds of stuff found out later it was just carbon monoxide that they weren't filling the holes in the firewall you know it was a really? team there was only one guy that ever even worked on a car my one of my first races i was sitting on the wall for driver introduction with terry labani and he's like hey you know the story behind that car it's like no He's like, yeah, that's a car I broke my leg in at Riverside. It was out behind my shop, and Barry Owens wanted to buy it, and I told him one price, and he told me another, and we flipped, and he bought it for the cheaper price and fixed it, and that's your your car owner bought it, and that's that's your that's the car. So, oh, that's just great. You know, I was twelve years old, wrecked car, <laughs> so and wrecked. Know, yeah, so uh, I, I mean, we we ran there, and then the second year, how many cars did you have? Well, we only had I think three cars that whole year. Wow. Um, and again, they were all used cars. And then, second year, I drove for Ed Whitaker. So it was one employee. Uh, there or? was no. They had like five, but only one of them had really worked on a car before. They were all from Bedford, Pennsylvania. Like good guys. I mean, hard workers that just right. You know, didn't have a lot of experience. And then, uh, I went to run for Ed Whitaker the next year, which was Harry Gant drove for, mm -hmm. like won lots of races, but that year they switched from v6s to v8s mm -hmm. and then from they ran hoosier tires with harry and goodyears were mandatory then there was no more hoosiers so the tires were a lot harder and they tried to run the same setups that they ran with harry with the v6s so the cars are heavier the tires are harder and it just wouldn't work and towards the end of the year they fire finally hired uh daryl bryant uh crew chief the car and we sat on the pole at bristol and we ran really good at the end of the year but at that time it was too late and the next year i went to drive for john andretti and agajanian and uh curb they started their team and i ran there for from 96 and 97 and then in 98 they were getting ready to buy all brand new stuff it was going to be my first time to really have a good shot at racing driving for who at the for time agajanian and, okay and and then they got into an argument and john andretti left and he had big a auto parts as a sponsor and because he owned some stores and then i my contract was with curb and agajanian and so we went from gonna have all brand new stuff to running the same stuff we had which was all used stuff again from starting the team up and it was really frustrating and uh i went to the last race i ran we went to new hampshire and we rolled off the truck the oil line fell off backed the car in i'd only crashed one time ever in practice and right. so we killed the car so they get the backup car out don't have a motor or anything in it so we take a provisional start last in the race they drop the green uh plug wires were crossed we come down so we're three laps down before we ever get going and then the throttle started sticking so I ran the rest of the race, shutting the car off, going into the corner and turning it back on <laughs> oh, at New God. Hampshire, which you know how that is. And uh, I was so mad that I ended up, instead of flying home, because I was so pissed at the crew chief, I rode home in the lounge of the trailer from New Hampshire back to Charlotte. 
and Brad Knopfsinger was my team down. manager, and he rode with me because I, I would have killed him. You know, I was like that mad. And I came home and laid in bed that night and thought about it. And, again, back to where I won my whole life growing up. When I walked into the racetrack, I always thought I could win when I walked in. And I, I'd just been beat down over through the NASCAR so long and not having the right stuff to do it that – I just was done, and I walked in and called Agajanian the next day and quit. So you're soured on the, the NASCAR experience, and this is right about the time that the IRL starts to become prominent. And what we were seeing with the IRL was a lot of sprint car and midget drivers getting shots again. You know, I mean, even Jack Hewitt was getting a shot in, in uh, IRL cars, and so was Steve Kinzer. Was that something that you looked at as, this was my ticket back to Indy? Well... When the IRL started was about a year or two after I started NASCAR. Mm-hmm. So if it wouldn't have worked out in NASCAR, I think I would have had a good shot in IRL. Uh, so it's just funny how things work out. I just I wish I would have waited now because, again, Indianapolis Motor Speedway was the thing I wanted to do, you know, no matter what it was going to take. But I wish I would have waited so I could have done that. I did get to run – four IndyCar races total after I quit driving the stock cars I got some phone calls and and did that and loved it I wish I could have done more but mm-hmm. uh you know just how timing is and everything that's that's how my cards were dealt and that's the hand I had to hold so were you looking at it going this is what I should have been doing the whole time uh yeah okay yeah, yeah. I mean it was more I was more comfortable doing it it was like it, it seemed like it fit me better it was your people too, probably from yeah, your I area mean, I, of the country. Again, I knew them all. I, I built parts for Indy cars, so not only from the midget sprint cars where they were all working there, I I knew them from work building parts for those guys. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So you you really have done it all. I mean, you've worked on the cars, you've built stuff, machine stuff, uh, driver, spotter uh, through the years, uh, spotted for championship cup teams. Where, uh, I mean, you've seen decades of the sport. Where do you see it going right now? I mean, we've got the the new Cup car that's that's out. We've got the Xfinity Series. The way that it is, the drivers are younger and younger. Uh, you know, um, where where do you see the sport going? Well, like I said earlier, when we ran the Thunder races, we had fans that followed us through. It's a shame that we don't have that now because people are coming in and nobody knows who these guys are. They don't have backgrounds. They don't. I don't know anything but a name and it's a shame because like I spot for Christopher Bell now his resume is unbelievable mm-hmm. I mean he's really a talented driver outside of what he does uh, you know now when I'm on the road I leave the track go get something to eat take it to the hotel and I watch flow racing or dirt vision so I can see the sprint cars in midget run you didn't have that opportunity back in the day to watch all the series for the whole year they had to thunder but with thunder you had people turn it on that never watched racing before and became new fans now you have to subscribe to do it and if people aren't going to do that that don't know anything about it they're not going to pay they're not going to pay so you're not going to know about you're not going to have that background of the drivers anymore so that's the downside of it you don't you don't get to know the drivers anymore that's there's no personal side to racing like there used to be what do you think we can do to cultivate that local talent again though what do you think we can we can do to get that back because there's a few guys in the cup series that have been able to do it the kyle larson's the christopher bells the ryan priests you know they go and they do their short track stuff and they have a lot of those followings that have followed them what do you think that there should be more cup drivers that should be doing that more often well uh, just like gavin bochelle that races he's you know 13 14 years old now and Mm -hmm. is one of the most talented kids i've ever seen with the youtube somebody needs to be picking up on that and finding that kid and bringing him up so somebody could follow him through that's a race fan you know uh Tanner Holmes out in California has a YouTube channel that a lot of people watch and follow him. Right. But he's he's a little, you know, he's not 13 years old. This kid's 13 years old and he's starting to run late models. He's running starting to run sprint cards. He's run micros. If right. you get somebody like that and can follow him through, 
that kid's good enough that he's going to be successful. Somebody needs to follow that and do a storyline so people can follow that. Interesting that's, story. That's what they need to do right now. Interesting story. I interviewed Gavin for his very first television interview when he was five or six. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So yeah. I've followed his career. I've actually held him in one arm. So, that, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. You know, YouTube it's, is still free, and, you know, and you just got to watch a couple commercials in between. But, right. you know, that's, that's what's going to catch somebody's eye and get them interested in racing again. It, it, when you're trying to get new race fans, when I ran the Bush Series, they was sold out on the Bush days. Mm-hmm. And there was tons of people there. But, again, you had ASA, you had USAC, you had Modifieds, you had guys from all different divisions. When they came to NASCAR, their fans came with them. Right. Without the grassroots and people, you know, like I said, those kids are only running six months in one series. So they move on before anybody gets to know them. Right. So you don't have that fan base that you used to have bringing them up so that i think that's our biggest downfall right now is we need to get back to the winter heats or the you know saturday night thunders or thursday night thunders on network television or a cable channel that we can learn these people again so when they get to nascar nascar's got something to say we got this guy now right look at the one that's come up through the ranks it being that you're not a, a social media guy, though. Do you think, like, that is how some of these kids are going to cultivate those fans? I mean, because you've got the TikToks, the Instagrams that are out there now. I yeah. mean, Well, it, I mean, you have to. I mean, because I'm not on it doesn't mean I'm not aware of it. It's not because I'm just the old guy that don't get it. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I'm the same know, way. But, I was asking one of the PAs here, how do you do a spotter, TikTok? Being a spotter, when I'm on the roof, you look down, everybody's on their phone. The problem is these racetracks don't have the internet good enough to keep up with the phones so when you don't have that people lose interest Mm -hmm. so you got to have even though you have a product in front of you and you're watching people can't keep their attention that long because of that you know people you know what if you have your race going on and you give that person an internet and access they're going to talk about your product Mm -hmm. that's free advertisement when you don't give them enough signal to be able to do that, they get bored. They can't send out stuff. They can't do that. That's It's not like what it used to be. We had three channels. You had to watch the whole show. Right. Now they can change it when it gets boring. You know? Same with the sitting there. They get bored with it. They get on their phone. Do you think it's because we're moving these kids up too fast? I mean, like you, you've seen it out at Millbridge. You've, you've got... Now they've got the restricted division out there. You've got, you know, nine and ten year olds in, in micro sprints now. I mean, guys my age are racing with 11 year olds. Uh, do you think it's because they're just they're moving them well, up too quick? I mean, we're seeing kids as young as 10 in, in these junior late models now, yeah. 10 years old driving, you know, a 300 horsepower. I think late model. there's a place for some of them, like the Brent Cruz and the Bochelles, but then there's guys that their dads think they're ready to do it and they move them up they didn't have nothing before the 600s except the carts out there Mm -hmm. well you don't have suspension to learn you don't have all the other stuff and the biggest thing i saw at the beginning of the year when my son was running out there you throw a slide job on somebody they don't know to turn and come back down under they try and drive back around you and they get over your right rear and they turn over and then everybody wants to fight right you know Mm -hmm. the only reason i know that's because i had to tell people to line up one night because there was four guys standing in front of me yelling at me because their kid didn't turn back underneath that's part of racing you have to learn that stuff and i'm glad they did the restrictor because i think you need to run the restrictor class and win so many races before you can move up Mm -hmm. if you're under a certain age okay i think you need that stepping stone because these kids can do it but they have to have the experience. Right. You know, and, and the Milford kids that have such the experience a great track great. to see some oh, racing yeah. at too. It really is. It's a cool place to see some racing. There's super talent that we're gonna see yeah. come up through the ranks. If you can run good there, you can go anywhere in the country and run good. Yeah. It's it's a tough racetrack. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's guys that you know, can win anywhere in the country and they come here and they struggle it's it, it's just a different type of race it, track. isn't it so funny though too because there are some nights where you go and watch one of these micro races and you know like you know super talents in the field you, you're sheldon creed your brett moffitt's yeah. you, you know these guys that you know do this stuff and then they 
they struggle. You know, they they yeah. get their asses kicked by a ten year old or well, an eleven year old. Uh, that and you go back and you're like, you know what? These are some of these NASCAR drivers are coming out here. It pays two hundred and fifty bucks to win this race, and it's way harder racing than they've ever done. Right, and that's that's what the sport's about is getting back to the good hard racing. You know, and it doesn't pay that good. But I, th- I think there's also it, a, a contingent of them that come out there to to develop their skills too. Oh, yeah. I don't think that they'll admit it, you know, because oh, they've yeah. reached that that pinnacle or that 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 level. But I think there's a couple out there that are going. Maybe I need to feel something different moving under yeah. my ass. I, I mean, you anytime know? you're in a race car, it doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. You're you're learning, and the more you can set in a seat, and you feel something. And you're learning, you're going to be better no matter what it is. And I think that's that's what these NASCAR drivers are doing coming back, especially trying to get the dirt experience before they went to Eldora. Or not Eldora, uh, Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> we wish they were going yeah. to Eldora. Yeah. You know, almost an hour, I th- actually I think a little more than an hour has already gone by, and there's so much more stuff that we haven't touched on yet, but we've got other guests coming in today. Uh, but uh, we want to thank you for coming in. Uh, would you... Would you come back? That's the yeah, next question. I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. There was a lot not, we never got to. But, oh, I'm uh, sure. There's, yeah, we got to get yeah. into stories, and because that's the big thing. We're huge storytellers here. But Stevie, thank you for joining us, Stevie Reeves, on this episode of the Derek Pernasiglio Show. And like always, we'll see you the next time. Bye. <laughs>